0: You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewind, presented by modern soccer
1: coach. That's what you call USA Razzle Dazzle! Now, your host, Clifton Bush. Thank you so much for joining us here on the NWSL Rewind. Sierra and I will be talking about all the week's matches, as well as diving into Chicago Red Stars and their push towards the top of the table. As well, I'll be speaking to Troy McCarroll in this week's interview, former assistant coach with FC Kansas City and current opposition analyst for Seattle Reign. Stay tuned for that. But let's get to this week's games. How's it going, Sierra? How are we doing this week?
2: Good. Lots of games. You know, the usual. So it's been fun. There's a lot of good wins, a lot of good ties. They were all fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was good. I... It was actually live at the Chicago, North Carolina game this week. So a different perspective for watching the match.
2: Yeah, he didn't bring me with, so we're a little <laughs> upset about that, but it's okay. We'll forgive him eventually.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> well moving on. Uh, Chicago Orlando. <laughs> Midweek match, first week of uh, first match of the week. Uh 2-0 Orlando over the Red Stars. Uh, thoughts on on kind of how that went?
2: Um, I think, you know, I think Orlando came out fast. They looked good. I think they have, you know, they have the strong attack. Um, Ubeogogo has been really good. Um, she scored on a fast counterattack. Um, and then Hill scored her first goal, which I think was great. Um, and again, I think on a counterattack goal. So that team's very counterattack oriented and they're so fast and athletic in, I would say probably the attacking third. Um, so when they win a ball in the midfield, it's quick transition, quick goals. And I think that's exactly what they did. Um, interesting thing is is that Orlando actually got their first win over Chicago, which I think is cool. So,
1: so, uh, Things to come. I'm sure it'll be a contentious second match when Orlando is back in Chicago, I believe, uh, in a few weeks here.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think Chicago just, they seemed a little heavy in that game. And so um, I think it'll be interesting to see them, you know, more fresh, if you will. And it's been a lot of games for a lot of teams. And so um, I think you're kind of seeing the effect of it. And those midweek games are challenging. Um, So, Hopefully, you know, when they rematch, I think it'll be a good game. If they, you know, come out like they did against North Carolina, I think it'll be a it'll be a fun game to watch.
1: Yeah, it's one of those right now, Chicago's on eight having played eight games. Orlando's yeah. played six. Um even Portland has played six. So a lot of majority they've got two games on most of the teams yep. in the league here. And so it's the fatigue certainly yeah. early in the year probably uh, need to get a little bit of rest for some players. So yeah,
2: it makes a difference
1: how that goes in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So Cascadia match. First one of the season, Portland Thorns versus Seattle rain in a three, two Seattle rain win. Um, Big time game. Great up and down field to it. Um, I mean, if you're looking for a poster for what the NWSL can be about uh, 3-2 Seattle over Portland probably was was exactly what you're looking for.
2: Absolutely. And I think one of the coolest things, too, is that I think they said that there was like 16,000 people um, that were at the game. Um, And I think for the NWSL, you've got to keep in mind, that's awesome. I mean, and then to have. The game that they had which is i think it was the tale of set pieces um because i think almost every goal came like off of a set piece and so i think it was just a good match it was they kept the ball well both teams and then goals came off set pieces which is exciting um and so you have that many people and then it's a three two win it just keeps the game going and it's fun and it's something to talk about for everybody
1: yeah and they've the league has just announced the final will be held at Providence Park. Yep. Um, so, hopefully, we'll see a, a majority of those sixteen thousand plus <laughs> uh, on the final. And I'm sure, given the uh, the amount of times that Mark Parsons' team has been to the finals uh, recently, <laughs> you know, you yep. you imagine that they're looking and really kind of, you know, licking their chops. You know, trying to get there and get in front of their fans.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, with it'll be interesting this game. Um, I think was I'll be interested to see if they play again because I think will they both kind of modify their game with, you know, because everything came off of set pieces, um, you know, or a header. I think Haran scored off a header, which uh, off of a service. Um, so I think if you you know look at a game board, how are they gonna score goals you know is are people gonna modify because you know that is how they scored offset pieces off air balls you know um, how are we gonna change our game in order to fit that narrative
1: yeah I think there's the other two matches for Seattle Portland are much later in the year including yep. the last game of the season yep um, so it's. Yeah, it's definitely on the table. To There's going to be a lot in between now and then. So yeah. Everybody's going to have to kind of change their formations, change their personnel. You don't know what the yep. injuries are going to come up. And the systems of play are going to be much more evolved. Mm-hmm. Just because at this point, we're at the point where everybody's playing each other once. Yep. So this is the yep. first time people are seeing each other. So yep. you've, got, you've got feel-out games happening all over the place. Yeah. And so how do you How do you balance what you know and Portland, Seattle, know each other very, very well. Um, yeah. Even with the n- new coach, a couple of new players for Seattle, I think it's it's a rivalry that they know each other very, very well. Uh, you could see the, the rivalry part in, in <laughs> Long. Uh, I mean, she definitely yeah. felt like she really was trying to, you know, show and prove. <laughs> that, yeah, absolutely. You know, make sure that she was back at Providence putting in you know a massive shift Yeah. but i mean i think at the end of the day this is a it turned into a midfield match yeah. and on the day i it seemed to me that long and fishlock were able to control more than haran and sinclair yes and so with that ability to just control the midfield it didn't lead to necessarily goals for people or major chances mm-hmm just pushing them back into the Portland defensive third means that you've won enough to get yourself right you know those like you're talking about the set piece plays the set piece chances free kicks corners yeah um you know even getting into the box for the penalty and yeah. so those things are you you just have to win the midfield enough and most people have not been able to do that against Portland with the three back overloading the middle of the park they've been able to possess they've been able to find Mitch purse they've been able to get the ball isolated in the wings so kudos to seattle for being able to kind of unlock it a little bit on the day yeah Um, i I thought portland played very very well though i mean for me they probably were were on the front foot for a good portion of the game uh, playing their exact style I thought Midge Purse was was back. Maybe she's kind of dropped yeah. just a little bit in, in the last game or two. And yeah. I felt like against Seattle, she was back running at full steam, yeah, going at players, making things very, very difficult for Catley, for McNabb, for Kawasumi.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, and you have Portland, too. I think you've got to keep in mind, too. Like, for them, yeah. even though they lost 3-2, they – I think they outshot Seattle like 24 to 12 um, and they almost scored in like the 85th minute. So they were right there. Like you were saying, I think they played well um, and they were right there to potentially have a tie game. Um, You know, if you don't get that PK, I mean, now all of a sudden it's a different game. So it'll be, like I said, it'll be interesting to see when they play them again, you know, what changes as you start to feel teams out um, because I think, they were hanging in there, and that game could easily have gone the other way,
1: yeah. and it, I mean, Serna Gorkovic was again all over the place. And so yeah. how she intertwines with Sinclair, Haran, purse is going to be huge. yeah, um because she's kind of a a more mobile player, where I think everybody else in there, is in their position and yeah. moves the ball accordingly you have you know same thing with a uh, Tobin Heath they're very methodical players who move yeah. the ball and she's much more free so they've got to figure out what her instinctual runs are
3: yes. and
1: where is she going so that they can actually capitalize on it yeah on the other side of the ball i think the at the end of the day how much of that difference comes down to Beto's performance versus yep. Ekstrom's performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's something to say about 80 uh, French being out injured. Yeah. Uh, Beto's had, you know, two very, very good saves yeah. um, that kept them in the game. And so you're looking later on in the season as you kind of have your eyes on those games down the road. Yep. Um, certainly having a healthy French who is, you know, kind of in the ascendancy of her her time in goal yep. uh, is going to be a bit of a difference as well.
2: Absolutely. But it was a fun game. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of three, two games, like the next one, which is uh, New Jersey and Houston. Um, and that was a three, two game, um, which also was very back and forth. But um, I think, you know, in general, you had sky blue, sky blue who really controlled the possession I think it actually controlled it was like 58, 59% to like 40, 41%. Um, But I felt like the dash was just more dangerous in the attack. So I think you sometimes find these teams that are doing really good in the possession game and it's really, it looks really good and it feels really good, but there's not really much coming from it. Um, And I think New Jersey did a good job of getting two goals. But I do think Houston did a better job of just capitalizing on their chances. They outshot them, I think, like 17 to 11 or whatever. So they didn't have most of the possession, but they were out. They had they outshot them and they capitalized on three chances. And I think for Houston, that's an awesome win and an awesome pickup, because like we've said earlier, they've kind of, I think, been just a little slow off the start um, and they've had a hard time picking up wins and they finally picked one up. So I think this is a great win for them.
1: Yeah, Houston this is it's a testament to the league and just that you never know on the day yeah what team is going to get a victory over yeah. another. And so you can never really you know, you would say well maybe Sky Blue is playing a little bit better or how what mm-hmm. McCaskill's doing and but Houston on the day in this league you can never look back and go hey, well we'll look ahead, maybe one more game or we'll take a look at what's going on next week. In this instance, I think you see that happen for me. This game was an absolute just track meet though.
3: Yes. So the
1: 3-2 was. Seattle versus Portland was two teams with a very specific plan, yep. a very specific style of play yep. to move the ball through the thirds yep. in order to gain goal scoring opportunities. Mm-hmm. Houston, Jersey, Jersey, was like an NBA all-star game in the third quarter like <laughs> it was just like people were just running everywhere
3: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: how far how quickly can you get the ball forward and try to find somebody in an advanced position and for me that was i mean so it made it didn't make it look like a great defensive game for me like yeah, i agree i didn't think either back four was really walking things down, putting people into, you know, positions of disadvantage, trying to gain numbers up in the flanks or whatever type of style of play as a coach that you'd want to implement. But it just didn't seem like either back four was able to get a hold of this game and keep people from creating opportunities. Now makes for an exciting offensive match. uh, But how much does that make for like a great quote, unquote, soccer match,
2: right? Right. Well, and I think, too, you've got to keep in mind, like, the difference between this game and then the Seattle game is that Seattle, like you're saying, they're moving the ball, they're keeping the ball. And then all their Seattle and Portland, all their goals came off of set pieces. So a lot of it is you're pinging, 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 foul, okay, how can we get in and play? Or goes out of bounds for a corner, how can we get it in and play? If you look at this game, it's more in the flow of play. So you have defensive breakdowns, and that's how you get goals. And so clearly back fours were having issues because if you're having defensive breakdowns to give away five goals in total, uh, now all of a sudden you're, you know, you have just a difference in game. And I think, you know, set piece goals are, I mean, in the men's game and in the women's game are hard. And that's why they're so dangerous on both sides. But in the flow of play, if you're giving away three goals on one side and two goals on the other side, you've got obviously some challenges with the back four.
1: Yeah, I think the the road to solidifying your style of play is harder yeah. for a Jersey and Houston given this game than it would be for Seattle or Portland. Yeah. So Seattle and Portland have kind of got to go to the drawing board and maybe yeah. tighten up some marking, deal yeah. with how they're how they're looking at their set plays week to week. But in this instance there's a lot of gaps there's a lot of places where carly lloyd was trying to get into the attack but now she's not available for the transition but she's also not necessarily being supported either so there's places where they've got to get the the matchups right where they've got to get the key kind of together players you know what are the key units right who is it and how do we get them to understand that when Lloyd moves forward, Killian might actually have to talk. You know, she might have to come outside of a comfort zone in order to support defending while they're attacking or who is that? Um, And so for me, that's this game, albeit a a high scoring affair and a great win for Houston. Tactically, uh, there wasn't a lot of pattern to it that, seemed kind of seamless. Right. So I think there's still a fair bit of work as they as both these teams look to play squads that quite frankly have really gotten a, a certain style set. Right. Um, right. So you know how they're attacking and it's going to be very difficult for them to to keep the gaps closed.
2: Right. I agree. I agree
1: 100%. Um so Speaking of first wins, though, Utah Royals with their first win ever in yep. program history. Uh, Kelly O'Hara scoring in the seventh minute and Diana Matheson in the 66th minute, closing it out with a 2 0 win over Washington Spirit. Uh, shout out for Abby Smith, which I mm-hmm. you know, will give a special shout out to Abby Smith because she's <laughs> definitely uh, she's working so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and and I even I said kind of last week, maybe, you know, where when's the when are the questions coming when you have such a talented goalkeeper as a backup? Yeah. Um, and she's shut out maybe one of the most potent attacking six, you know, (laughs) in the entire league. Uh, you know, definitely pulling back for one for Abby Smith on that one. (laughs)
2: Well, and I think for Utah, awesome win. I think both goals come off of hard work, purely hard work. I think both come off of a crunching tackle, slide tackle, whatever it is, and then fast counterattack. Both goals were counterattack goals. Um, Matheson, I mean, brilliant goal, but just hard work. I think that's that's this team right now. I don't know if they really have – you know, we've kind of said that they're up and down with style of play and style of what they're doing. And I think that the one thing you can take away from this team at all points in time is they work hard. It is 100% effort all the time. And that's how both their goals came on. And I think a win's a win and two goals, great goals off of solid work, good transition, great counterattack goals.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you've got this movement to have – ohara play higher up the field is is starting to yield you know some results we'll see maybe if you know when they go to play teams like north carolina if utah doesn't maybe move her back to the right back four but for now you know they're definitely trying to get on the front foot and get more than just ties out of games um, which is it's good to see from an aesthetic point, but O'Hara being higher up the field is much more, much more conducive to that. So yeah. now you've got a little bit more pace. Um, and I think it gives you maybe just a bit more of a veteran in this league. Yeah. Um, Somebody who's maybe just a little bit more understanding of how to play an American yeah. style versus Young's daughter, who I yeah. think is uh, like, she came out of the gate like a cannon, but now yeah. it feels like she's, not quite able to fill the gaps between Scott and Gory, and right. you know, how much is she connecting with Sauerbrunn and Corsi as well. So I, right. I think those having O'Hara in those positions gives you somebody who, you know, can take on a player, even in the first goal. I, I mean, that movement okay. was, uh, you know, that's a, that's a world-class U S national team level right. movement off the shoulder. And so, I think that's something that Coach Harvey has really, uh, you know, it's a good tip to be able to say, hey, we can use her here and we can use her here. And so just her versatility has done pretty well for them.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, you also have to give credit to Utah's backs because I think uh, Spirit had one shot on goal. And and that came in the 91st minute, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah, 81st minute. minute. Yeah, 81st minute, you get their first shot on goal. And so I think big time shout out to that back, because, I mean, it's hard to be a back for slash, you know, if you have a defensive midfielder, if you have your goalkeeper included in that. But if you don't get a shot on goal for 80 minutes, I mean, that's very impressive. And especially against, like you were saying, I mean, a top notch six Washington spirit, you know, attacking, playing team. And I think to not give up a shot on goal is crazy for 80 minutes. And so big time shout out to them for being able to just hold that together as a unit for 80 minutes.
1: Yeah. I mean, neutralizing Smith and Tedesco in the wide areas was certainly necessary. I, I mean, they can be very, very dangerous in the flanks. And so I think when you pair that with, Ordega and Pugh, who yep. have both had very good years this year. And Ordega yeah. has – I mean, she's – I think she might be tied at the top of the list for goal scored this year. Yeah. So, you're – that's players running at you and who can get on the ball, who are very aggressive running towards, you know, your, <laughs> your defensive goal. But they were able to get stopped this week, I think, in part because of O'Hara able to stop Smith because you've got to kind of yep. keep her honest because O'Hara is yep. higher up the field. Yep. Uh, but I mean, on the day it just maybe the matchup wasn't great for Washington. And yeah. sometimes you just don't match teams well. Right. And you know, it's seemed Washington and their play was pretty similar to how they've played the rest of their matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was a day for Pew to maybe play underneath just a little bit more, but it's and not leave it all to Sullivan.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: You know, it was definitely a a game that they seem like they just maybe couldn't quite get out of first gear. Yeah. Uh, But at the end of the day, I I mean, they're going to it's one of those things where I think they're going to be fine as well. Right. Uh, You know, if I'm Jim Guevara, I'm not really worried about, you know, this the one result. You know, it's a long season for them and they're going to have that
2: now. You'd rather have that now than later.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely gives them something to to deal with on I mean how do you solidify Sullivan where do you play Pew right hatch hasn't gotten going really at all this year Mm -mm. and so if if and when she does start to break out and be able to score a few goals like you know you should probably if she can get six or seven like she did last year yes it turns a game like this on its head so yeah yeah not uh not too worried if I'm I mean, you don't want to be losing any games, but if I'm Jim Cabrera, I'm probably okay with uh, moving on and getting to next week.
2: Absolutely.
1: The game of the week uh, this week for us: North Carolina Courage versus Chicago Red Stars, and a one-one draw uh, <laughs> in in Cary, North Carolina. As stated before, yes, I was I was there live. Sierra, was yeah, he
2: he did not break me. He <laughs>
1: Next, <laughs> next time we're Next time we're going to the game live together. Exactly. Uh, I recognize my mistake in that very very quickly, so uh, that won't happen again. But it was, uh, it was great to see a game, uh, first game of the year that I've seen live. So uh, always enjoy doing that, watching NWSL games in living color, um, and it was as I don't know. At least for me. I would imagine it was as good a match live as it was on TV. Like, was it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'll just get all the all the hyperbole out of the way quickly, and then we'll we'll talk more in depth about North Carolina and specifically Chicago today. Uh, Alyssa Nair stood on her head in probably the goalkeeping performance, uh, certainly have this NWSL year, and in my mind. I don't recall one <laughs> in the no, league that was better it. than yeah, that no. No, <laughs> up wasn't to this point. Fine. So um, Nair stands on her head over the weekend and just keeps keeps Chicago in it, yeah, but with Flair and just I mean, there's a reason I was in the stands and there were people sitting in front of me. Um, You know, and everybody just kept saying, well, I guess that's why she's the number one goalkeeper for the national team. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, if ever was a uh, was a captain obvious moment, I would say that was was it. Um, Exactly. uh, So, yeah, uh, goal in the 37th minute. Sam Kerr's first goal in this season for Chicago. So get that out of the way as well. And then McCall Zabroni. Equalizes in the eighty-second minute uh, yep. off of a corner kick. Uh, yeah, set play. So the with all that out of the way, talk to us about <laughs> the one-one affair here.
2: I think you know, um, for me, I think especially I would say probably the first. I don't know. I'd say probably first, like at least sixty minutes. I felt like Chicago did an awesome job. They obviously scored first, um, which I think. Especially against a team against like North Carolina, you need to score first. It's I think it's hard to score late or or early whatever on North Carolina. I think they're just they're a solid team, and so for Chicago to pick up the first goal early, I think threw North Carolina off, and I think sets them up for good positioning. Um, And I think defensively, Chicago did such a good job of getting numbers behind the ball. We've talked about it before. North Carolina is a fast-paced athletic team. And so if you can't get numbers behind the ball, you are going to struggle. And I, don't th- I, didn't, I didn't feel like at any point in time Chicago got caught in a transitional moment or anything like that, which I feel like would be easy against the North Carolina team. Um, and I felt like they did a really good job of just getting numbers behind the ball and being a unit defensively.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you're looking at a back four of Werta, Johnson, Gordon, Mott's. Yep. That is an – we talk about the pace of North Carolina, the physicality of North Carolina. Yep. But that back four is a ridiculously fast back four.
3: Exactly.
1: That is known to crush people. Yep. And Sam Johnson has been just absolutely annihilating people all season long. Mott's obviously as an attacker, Werta as an attacker for Chicago – Yeah, very pacey flank players. Uh, Now, defensively, 1v1 was always going to be kind of the question, I guess. If you're taking attackers and you're making them defenders, what do they do 1v1? And where the Mots in that first half were able to shut down all of the flank play by themselves. When typically I feel like North Carolina does a very good job to overload one side. So usually they're 2v1. Yep. Um, and they had a, a number of 2v1s. I mean, quite frankly, it's you see those overloads deep into the defensive third. Yeah. One way to tell that you're getting your overloads is by the number of corner kicks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it was 12, 12 to three. corners for North Carolina and 3 <laughs> for Chicago. And so you can tell they were getting there, Yeah. but not being able to Uh, one, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, I mean, I think if I look back at the number of corners versus Houston that North Carolina had, it was like 16 or 20 or something like that. So it it could have been a lot worse. And I think and Mott did an excellent job of solidifying the 1v1 challenges in the wide areas and not maybe giving up so many corner kicks to a North Carolina team that basically has lived off them all season long. Yes,
2: yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think too, like, transitionally for Chicago, I think when they moved from defense to offense, I think that they did a really good job of exposing kind of opening up some lanes. So like the way that, you know, Kerr scored, I think they did a good job of opening up it wide and then finding the perfect slip ball over the top. I mean, Kerr scored a brilliant goal. I mean, (laughs)
3: you
2: you couldn't have pressured her any better. I mean, she was defended well. She just scored a brilliant goal. I mean, it was as far post as far post gets, Um, she had someone literally on her backside holding her hand, like there couldn't have been a more brilliant goal, but the ball into her was perfect. I mean, it literally went right over their back line and landed perfectly at her feet. So I think they did a good job of opening that wide channel and then just kind of getting that perfect ball in behind, which I think people have kind of struggled with North Carolina. They can't find those gaps to get in behind. And you have to keep in mind when their wide backs are going, like especially Hinkle loves to go, you've got to keep in mind that if you can win a ball on a counterattack and expose that open channel, it's on. It's just about connecting the dots and having the right person in. And I think when you have Sam Kerr in, it's easy to, all right, here, get this ball, go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Kerr doing – Kerr things uh, <laughs> you know i mean is at this point at this very moment in time is there another player in in this country that has a better first touch than sam Kerr?
3: No.
1: <laughs> i mean like her ability just to put the ball in the exact place she needs it so that she can create goal scoring opportunities is absolutely i mean even the the late save yeah. that d'angelo yeah. made yeah. As she pulls it off of her chest Right yeah. down to her feet. I mean, like, the first touch of Sam Kerr is something to awe. Yeah. But I, I'm 100% with you. I mean, that counter style matching. They were able to match North Carolina Yeah, person for person, yes. which is a surprise thing. You'd think you have to kind of defend by committee when you're playing North Carolina. But Chicago was able to do it 1v1 kind of yeah. all over the park. Um, And really not suffer very many ill effects from it. I mean, because it just wasn't a lot. You know, Alyssa Nair made a lot of saves, but there definitely weren't like uncontested, over the top, 1v1, Jess McDonald, um, you know, Lynn Williams just running straight at a goalkeeper that we've seen in previous matches. Yeah. So I think it's worked to... Kind of just match everybody and see if you can keep every you know if you're sam johnson i mean that's a tall task to deal with lynn williams and mcdonald but she clearly is fast enough to do it physical enough to do it same thing for sarah gordon clearly she was fast enough and physical enough to deal with crystal dunn for the first you know 45 minutes 60 minutes of the match until dunn was moved back into the midfield so that's i mean they woman for woman took care of the job that they had to take care of and you let Sam Kerr do what Sam Kerr does on a counter instead of having her maybe a little bit deeper like I feel like she was in previous matches Yes. so it felt like maybe she was doing a little less defending midfield players and doing a bit more waiting for which is something that you can see when you're watching it live so Mm -hmm. it looks like on, on TV Sam is getting back a lot Right. At least in this match, she definitely was, I'm going to try and hang out on a shoulder and wait right. for something to happen. If I need to check for feet, I can do that. But right. the first priority is expose the fact that these fullbacks for North Carolina are always in the final third. Right. Um, and so it was. it was a very good use of her energy, I would say. And she's probably still trying to get back to you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, all those matches for right. the Asia Cup, right? And she's come here and played three matches in a week, so, yeah. and that's you know, so I'm sure she's trying to get her legs underneath her to kind of get used to this as well. So right. we'll uh, we'll see. I think moving forward, what's going to be the? Is it going to be keeping the ball moving through the thirds? Or is it going to be more about trying to get Kerr in over the top, in behind? Um, So that's a a question that Rory Dames is going to have to answer. (laughs) You know, is is their style of play going to adjust to Kerr, or is Kerr going to have to adjust to their style of play?
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think, too, you could see it kind of in the North Carolina game, I think, one thing that they needed to be a little bit better about, Chicago needed to be better about, was just, I think there were some times in the midfield that kept the ball too long on their foot. Like, you gotta keep it moving. And I think that there were a few times where, especially against, I mean, there's teams that they could do that. There are teams that they have some time to really go and do something with it. But I think against a North Carolina team, you're playing against a high press, you know, four midfield they're compact and you can't keep the ball on your foot that long. And so I think in the future, they're going to have to be better about just kind of getting it off their foot quicker, because I think it'll open up more chances to get in behind North Carolina. If Chicago can move it faster.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we still we still have Julie arts who was, yep. who must, she was listed as out for the game on Wednesday Yep. versus Orlando. Yeah. Um, but was in the 18 for the match on the weekend. Um, so, but she was an unused sub. Yep. Over the weekend. So you kind of wonder what's, you know, what is her fitness? Like, yeah. How, where's she at? But, you know, so you still have Julie Ertz. you still yep. have Rosie White. Yep. Um, you still have Vanessa DiMernardo. Yep. So you've got three midfielders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankly, you can, um, who can move a ball, yeah. you know, get one side to another. Right. So there, there's a lot more to play. I mean, there's going to be some pretty tough decisions here to make because some of these players are playing quite well
3: Yeah,
1: um, moving forward. And so, obviously, Nagasato is going to be somewhere, whether that's on the front line or in the midfield. So that's another yeah. player you have to consider. Mott's has been scoring goals all over the place for them. So it's another, you know, where do you put, where to, that's another thing. So I think these, like, there's going to be a lot of choices for what you're talking about as far as the quick play in the midfield. Yeah. uh, Switching the point of attack, maybe just slightly faster, but also controlling, for me, it's controlling the rhythm and tempo. Yeah. So can you control the rhythm and the tempo with how fast you're moving it, whether you're moving it to Nair or whether you're moving it to Johnson and Gordon? um, Yeah frankly, or even if you're just going forward. Because there were times in the game yesterday where I think they decided to just, uh, if we need the ball to move anywhere, we need it to go towards D'Angelo and yeah. not towards Nair. Exactly. So,
2: exactly.
1: Let's keep the game in front of us right. and play. And so I think that was those are the decisions that ultimately are going to get made. But there's a lot of players to come in this system. Yeah. And if that game is in the indication, and I would imagine both coaches would would think it would be, you know, the it's going to be a great matchup, quote unquote, in the playoffs, assuming both these teams make it. Um, That's going to be a game that I think Chicago is rising steadily. Yes. And North Carolina might be a rocket that just took off. (laughs) So at the end of the season, I think you'll probably be looking at two teams that are somewhere pretty close to each other. And this could be, a really, really key matchup, a marquee game yeah. late in the year or even in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, if you can keep if Nair can play like that every <laughs> game, Chicago is gonna go extremely far in the playoffs. Like they they're gonna have a chance to really win the whole thing because Nair just I mean was lights out. I mean, I don't like you said earlier, I don't think I've seen a better goalkeeping performance female wise and she was lights out I mean saves she was making weren't just the normal easy saves she was making difficult (laughs) I mean reaching you're like oh that's a goal never mind that's not a goal I mean she was doing a really good job and I think she really showed out and was like this is why I'm where I am and I think people now need to take note that wow that's now she also has to rise to that expectation every time she
3: plays
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely I mean twice twice I did that twice in the game I was like goal oh my goodness (laughs) like like, my jaw was hitting there I mean like as a as a goalkeeper you know as a card carrying member of the GK union I feel like I was just like floored uh, at what was happening I, I mean yeah she's she's ended all the all the questions. Cause I think there's a lot of goalkeepers in the league right now yeah that are trying to vie for some type of national team spot. Absolutely. And I would argue that she silenced all of those. Um Now you're right. Yeah. What is consistency, especially in goalkeeping, right? It's yep. going to be about consistency and form and continuing yeah. to move working with Johnson and Gordon. Um, to, you know, maybe have fewer shots. So she only has to make one of those saves in a game. Oh, exactly. um, you know, if you, if that's the, that might be the balance, but I think if they can work out how those three can deal with pressure, a lot of shots from outside the box, um, in this match. And so for North Carolina,
3: yeah. so
1: that's, those are, uh, 15 shots outside the box. I mean, yeah. It's it's a lot of shots from distance to be taking for a goalkeeper. So I think if they can figure out how to get the press right in the final third, just at those like last moments to get a few more blocks, yep. uh, maybe it lets her relax just a little bit. But
0: absolutely,
1: with the goalkeeping that's been happening, I think this year um, it hasn't been great. Yeah, no. like it hasn't been a few mistakes out there. Yeah. Goal, costing mistakes, game costing mistakes yeah. for a few goalkeepers uh in the league. And so I think definitely she's if she can play like that and the rest of the union kinda keeps holding form, maybe yep. it's not such a great year this year. Uh, then yeah, I mean that just gives you a leg up on everybody. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. To be fair, D'Angelo did have quite the save. I mean the she foot did save too. was she at the end of the game. Save. <laughs> so the team, a little, uh, little De Gea esque with the, the feet just throwing the feet out there and see, <laughs> see what hits, but yeah, I mean, it was today was a good goalkeeping day, or Sunday was a good goalkeeping day, which yeah. was refreshing after the past six weeks have yeah, left definitely. something to be desired,
2: yeah. And I think, I think in general, probably Sunday's game honestly was probably my favorite game just because I think it was a good game, it was good possession, it was. I mean, shot after shot, good goalkeeper. I mean, all over the board, you got to really think. I mean, in a general game sense, everything was good. Defending was good. The midfield play was good. Up top on both sides were good opportunities. Goalkeeping was brilliant on both sides. So I think overall, you're getting just everything in the game. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, 28 players, including the three substitutions for you know, both teams came to play that yeah. day. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that maybe the rest of the games they, they hadn't but it had a playoff type feel to it. Like Absolutely. It had a massive uh, and there's been one or two games like that maybe over yep. the year but yeah. it had a, a massive impact feel when I was there um, and so I think it showed at the quality of the game.
3: Yeah, you know?
1: And so it doesn't take a lot of goals to have a great game. I think this one was... To coaches two staffs two sets of teams that knew exactly what they were about and yeah. how they were trying to execute and win a match and even though it was chicago's third game in seven days or eight days they i think that adrenaline goes and now yep. you have what you're looking at and so for me yeah i mean i i'm not gonna say it wasn't my favorite game of the week just because i was there i mean i feel like <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're there at a game um it tends to be the one that you want to see, but I was not bored at any moment. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was, a, it was, and it was a great day. It started raining the second the game ended. So
3: perfect timing.
1: Perfect timing. So <laughs> good job, Cary, North Carolina. Uh, good job for <laughs> the courage and red stars. So yeah. So stay tuned. Uh, great interview coming up and we will be back with you next week.
2: Awesome. See you guys.
1: And you're back with the NWSL Rewind interview portion. So we are continuing our series, talking to people in and around the game, in and around the NWSL and this is today's interview is no exception we have troy mccarroll uh opposition analysis scout uh, all-around uh game watcher for seattle rain as he's worked with fckc uh for vladko Andonovski, and he's one of the most knowledgeable guys about the nwsl that's out there and we're very very glad to have him on today troy how you doing i'm doing
0: great thank
1: you and yourself Oh, I'm doing amazing. Uh, you'll you'll see. I was actually at a live game this past week, North Carolina versus Chicago. Uh, so had a blast doing that. So yeah, always a, a good, good way to
0: start, baby. I was last week at Orlando versus Seattle. So it was so that was a great little experience down there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Saw so a few a uh, few conversations you were having with with the boss and Sermani. and uh, it just. You know hanging out with the with the big guns huh
0: mate that's 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 when you've got to use your two ears that you were given and just listen very carefully and intently you know take it all in uh
1: that's absolutely you have two two ears and one mouth for a reason i would say especially at that moment (laughs) you're right (laughs) (laughs) So, so so talk to us a little bit about uh your time in kansas city and moving with the team moving to utah and Vladko Andinovsky moving to Seattle and kind of what you're on to these days.
0: Yeah, so I suppose I have to say I was absolutely gutted when I heard that the FCKC franchise was going to be no more and it was going to move to Utah, you know. I knew that that meant that the gaffer was going to be moving away, so it was going to make things tougher. Um, But moving on to bigger and better. But yeah, just with my time at FC Casey, um, I knew Vladko for a while, so when I got back in town to Kansas City, I asked him if I could just come, you know, watch the girls train, watch him, see how he was acting around the ladies. Um, and he was he was open to it. He always had an open door policy down here in Kansas City, um, and he'd let people come and watch him practice. And then when I found out his assistant was leaving, I asked him if I could step in and fulfill that role and I mean he was more than happy to say yes he took me under his wing and honestly it was the perfect position for me I came in and I was basically the BBC boy Uh, what be called back home for the person that just does the balls the bibs and the cones you know (laughs) but it was honestly it was the perfect position for me It's, it's like I kind of touched on earlier I could come in And I was just all ears, just all ears and all eyes. Didn't really say much um, at the very beginning. then eventually started to build more of a relationship with the girls and the rest of the coaching staff. And I was able to give little bits of advice here and there. Um, But I must say that it was very fun for me being in that position because you look at the squad that they had with – People like Becky Yeah Yaya, who is one of the most technically gifted players I've ever seen, um likes of Desiree Scott, you know Amy Rodriguez, Sidney LaRue, there's, there's a whole variety of players in there, so that was excellent just being in and around them, and I think it was good also for me, my position, that Vladko had let me join in practice quite a lot. Um, there's a few funny stories about practice, but I won't go into them or get myself <laughs> into trouble. <laughs>
1: yeah, you don't want to embarrass embarrassing
0: people, huh? No, there's a couple of times you had to tell me to calm down. I forgot that I wasn't the one that was playing on a Saturday. It was <laughs> you know? Um, Living the glory, huh? That's it. That's it. But in terms of, yeah, getting on to Gladco's coaching staff and, Getting to see things from behind the scenes, um, it was extremely eye-opening. So it was, it was the first time that I'd been in and around a professional ladies environment, you know, so I got lucky. I'll never, never forget that, how lucky that I've been to, first of all, be in under Vladko, you know, but then to be watching the caliber of players that Kansas City had day in, day out um, from preseason all the way through. And the way that they conduct themselves, it's – hats off to them. It's unbelievable. So uh, a lot of those
1: players this year, whether that's with Utah or you mentioned LaRue, you know, their their success is showing even though they're not in Kansas. So, you know, it's certainly a a testament of what they were doing. Now, having you guys made the playoffs that year. Is it? Did you, did you make the playoffs that year? Or? No, we actually
0: no, never no. the last season in franchise history. We never, we finished seventh. So. Um, but I must add in that we were what joint third for goals against, which is something that the gaffer takes pride on. He likes to have his defenses and um, shorten things up and not concede many goals, you know. I just think that the biggest blow for us was obviously losing Amy Rodriguez first game of the season. It's no kidding. I, I'm a big Celtic fan, and the player Henrik Larson, Amy Rodriguez was moving in practice like Henrik Larson, and that's a bold statement, you know.
1: So, yeah, um, I'm sure, and she's made a massive difference for Utah this year, and it's 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 going only gonna increase, I would imagine, <laughs> as they as they move forward.
0: Oh without a doubt, it's gonna it's gonna be fun and I wish Amy all the best and I hope she stays fit throughout the whole season and yeah, it'll be fun to watch her throughout, get back where she belongs, you know.
1: Talk to us about some of the coaching qualities for Vladko that, that you really you talk about, you know, really kind of getting under his wing and admiring what he was doing. Uh what what were some of the things that he was doing that was helping you grow as a coach and helping the team be as successful as they possibly could
0: yeah i think a big big thing um especially coming over to the ladies side of the game is his emotional intelligence i've actually not sat down and spoke to him a lot about it but i don't know how much he's either researched into it or it comes naturally to him but honestly there's there's an author called daniel coleman and um, he's got a book called emotional intelligence and why it can matter more than IQ, that's something that I've just bought the other day. Um, Just from reflecting, I'm thinking, what is the difference and why do the players speak so highly of them? But I think that is one of the things, his emotional intelligence um, to connect with each and every single player individually and treat them as a person first and then a player is, is massive. And I think that is the biggest thing that I've noticed um, from being in with Fladco on a daily basis, you know. Um, and then another thing is, gave me a little text earlier and asked me to jump on the interview. I started to think and reflect a little bit of our times on the training ground. And that was, that was something that stood out to me. There'd be some days <clears throat> where we'd be doing drills or little small-sided games or whatever it may be. And Fladco would be stopping practice and moving a player, one or two steps to the left or one or two steps to the right. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute. Has he really just stopped everything just to move them one or two steps? You know, and I think that small detail and being able to identify that detail so quickly was really, really impressive. Um, and I mean, I'm still pretty young, you know, so I'm thinking, yeah, I know quite a bit, but, being beside him and then him identifying things like that or pointing other things out to me. I'm like, holy smokes, what how does he see that so quickly, you know? Yeah. So
1: those those moments are I, I especially like what you're talking about with the EQ is like I think as a coach growing throughout the years, it's always been me trying to look at whether or not I would have personally said that same thing to a player whether that was a technical correction or a tactical correction or you know some type of emotional response how would I have responded Uh, and I think it's it's interesting how often those coaches get it right when it's the right thing to say with the right tone with the right tempo at the right time Um, and that's always such a a marker of of not just great coaches but great leaders I would say.
0: Yeah totally agree mate I totally agree and I think that it all seems of importance to me because I also witnessed, I kind of touched on it earlier, how much respect all the girls have for Vladko. You know? And this wasn't just within FC Casey. I mean, at the convention just passed when myself and Vladko were walking around. Um, the amount of people that want to stop and acknowledge him, um, even the convention before that, And some of the other other stories that I've heard, you know, it's like Vladko would go and watch the U.S. national team girls practice and all the girls would want to come and say hello. And even the head coach at the time was asking Vladko his thoughts on the session and stuff like that, you know. And when you have not just the people within your club, but everybody that's related to ladies football here in America and out with America, stopping and taking the time to talk to a guy like that then that that's not an easy thing you know
1: no absolutely not absolutely not so kansas city moves gutted kansas city moves <laughs> over to Utah um Laura Harvey takes over the Utah franchise uh Seattle now is open and as we all know Vladko and Donasi takes over the Seattle Reign. Uh, talk about – so you've been able to kind of keep somewhat of a relationship then going uh, with the staff over there. Talk to us about how that works for you now that they're in Seattle and you're in Kansas. And
0: Yeah, so, I mean, again, <clears throat> it's understanding that the resource that I have in Co, I don't want to lose it, you know. So as soon as I found out that he was moving – I was looking at every which way and option I could to move to Seattle as well, but it's just too expensive for me at the minute to yeah. get up there. <laughs> so I'm I'm still in Kansas City, but it's not ruled out yet. Um but yeah, I I just asked him again. I said to him, look, Chefy, that's what I call him. That's actually the Macedonian term for gaffer. But I was like, Sheffy, what what can I do to still be in your staff to still help you out? Um, whatever it may be so he's like well, why don't you do some uh, opposition opposition analysis and scouting and I was like perfect I'm all on it um, so again the man that he is taking it very seriously he got me hooked up with somebody who's involved um, at the national level in terms of scouting opposition so I've had a few FaceTimes and a few tutorials to help me better my opposition analysis and scouting with some national caliber people which was excellent um and i thank the people for that for helping me out there um but yes yeah, it's, it's good i mean kind of being dispersed here there and everywhere so obviously following them closely and the teams that they're with i feel like i have good knowledge of the nwsl now and I understand what chef is looking for. So when I'm providing these reports to him, I can give him the details that he wants. Um, and thinking about and talking about opposition analysis, it's made me delve into it a little bit more. I feel like it's undervalued, to be honest. Um, and I probably wouldn't have said that before I'd started the opposition analysis, but now, that I've really, really delved into and trying to learn more about it, I think in the NWSL, there's a huge, huge opportunity and I'm hoping to take it seriously and we get um, more staff involved, you know. I think it would take the game to the next level. Um, So, yeah, we kind of chatted about it a little bit previously as well, but I think that in my position that I'm at, I can still have an effect on Seattle. Um, I was down and I met the team last week for the first time, which was excellent. Um, and then I could see that some of the things that Sheffield was talking about were some of the things that I had passed on to him, you know? So that was good to see that being put into action.
1: Yeah, I mean, getting... What is the impact? So talk to us a little bit about what is the impact of that information getting to the technical staff that is coaching day in and day out and what that effect is on the the games? I mean, do you feel like that opposition analysis gives Seattle a chance to earn more points throughout the season?
0: Oh, 100%. Without a doubt, Um, that's where I feel that it's overlooked. In a lot of places, because that can be the difference between stealing a point on the road or walking away with no points on uh, when you're on the road. You know, I think that when we look at attention to detail and player reporting, if you're including that in your scouting analysis, again, it goes back to being on the training ground. If Fladco has the information that he he's either gathered himself by watching the video or maybe. I've picked it up and I've sent it to him, then he's going to know, okay, planning the sessions for the week against the opposition, whoever it may be, he can stop the game and tell whoever it is to move those one or two steps to the left or to the right, like I touched on earlier. Um, And it may be that he tells more than one person to do that because that's the information and knowledge that's been passed along. And now it's only going to help the ladies when they're on the field. Um, actually delivering the message that's been given to them. And I think another thing that's tricky is that we can give all the information we want to the coaches, the head coach, whoever it may be, but not all that information is going to be relayed to the players because you don't want to overload them, you know, but you would rather have more knowledge as a head coach than less knowledge because it might be that it's an in-game tactical decision or it's something that's happening in the game that pops up and, you know, okay, we know what's coming next, then the gaffer's able to relay that to the ladies during the game, you know, instead of having it as a surprise. So I think that's, that's one of the very, very important things about it. You're better to have more than less.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a league where, and I think Sierra and I talk almost every week about what it is, the style of play of every team and the patterns that you see that begin to come. And so as you're working in those environments, if you're not recognizing those patterns week to week, <laughs> um, you know, you'll, you get three b- bites at every team. And so the, you've got to be able to adjust and understand that maybe this, under certain circumstances, a team has this tendency or that tendency, and maybe just maybe you can get out ahead of it. And so I think uh, having that amount of detail as well as having quality detail, certainly I imagine is something that you focus on as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's huge. And as, as I'm only doing the opposition scouting analysis, um, I know that we have staff who are analyzing us as a team as well, so Seattle, Um, and that's so important for the ladies too, because I I know from past um, with FC Casey, at least with the group of girls that we had, all these girls are hungry to get better and improve, you know, so to have that self-evaluation or the evaluation coming from somebody else, um, it's not just opposition scouting and analysis, it's, and that analyzing yourself, you know, and then building these programs that can help improve the girls as players because they all want it. They're all hungry for it. Um, and I think that's what is exciting and good for me as well. When see that in these girls, you know, and they appreciate the information. Whatever small piece of information and detail that you give them, they really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, so now you're you're kind of got this. I mean, is this what you're going to do throughout the rest of the year or do you find yourself heading to Seattle at some point or to some new adventure or how do you see maybe the next, you know, 2019, 18 games, how many ever Seattle's played at this point kind of going for the rest of your season?
0: Yeah, so th- I can't remember the lady's name who was on your – last nwsl rewind but i have to tell her that it won't be chicago and um north carolina and the final is probably going to be north carolina and seattle oh. you know? <laughs> so I'll, I'll put my bold prediction out okay there. gotcha okay <laughs> so i will um <laughs> but yeah kidding aside i'm i'm excited for the development in psychology and um, graduations this weekend and and Next week, I'm off home for the first time in three years back to Scotland where I'll be doing my UEFA A licence. So I got the list of candidates who are on that course and telling you there's some good premiership players on there. So I'm excited to get in and learn more from them. I'll definitely be asking them questions about opposition analysis and what they've experienced during their time playing at the highest level. And then I'll look to implement that with Seattle um, and pass it on to Vladco. And then, yeah, once I've done that course, um, I'm trying to put it in the books. It's, it's not set yet, but I'm hoping to maybe spend the month of July, <clears throat> excuse me, spend the month of July up there in Seattle um, and getting amongst the team again and be working with them on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. I've also, I've actually also, it's quite funny, um, stumbled upon this course, the International Professional Scouting Organization. So I'm working closely with those guys and I'm getting through all of their coach education courses to help me become a better scout and help serve the ladies better and the team better too.
1: So tons of coaching education on for Troy. Uh, he'll be <laughs> finishing an A, finishing the scouting course uh, all while well. Having just finished up your master's degree, so yeah, okay, um, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty busy busy lifestyle for Troy.
0: That's it, mate. You've got to you've got to do it. When I see the level of somebody like Vladko, then I know that it takes the hard work and dedication, you know. So need to start now.
1: Well, there you go, Troy McCarroll here, uh, opposition analysis scout for Seattle Reign, uh, former assistant coach with FCKC. Uh, and i'm sure we'll see you out on a touchline very very soon
0: that's the dream mate that's the dream i yeah. feel heard there's a couple franchises applying next uh, year so yeah there's a couple coming there you go <laughs> there you go there's
1: a couple coming so yeah, get ready yeah. so we appreciate you troy
0: that's brilliant cheers question mate
1: This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.